Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Nancy Stancil, author of Tall, Love and Journalism in a Six-Foot World, an authentically written and compulsively readable memoir of Nancy's life from gangly teen to investigative reporter. Author Judy Goldman, author of Together, a Memoir of a Marriage and a Medical Mishap, has this to say about the book. In journalist Nancy Stancil's masterful hands, this memoir about the struggles and satisfactions, bonuses and betrayals of being a very tall woman is not only wonderfully absorbing, it is also instructive. Whether you're a six-footer or you're top off at five feet, the book is a reminder that how you measure yourself is more of a determiner of your success and well-being than any measure on a yardstick. Stancil gets it just right. Tall is a glorious book, fully alive. Nancy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I'm very glad to be here, Landis. Yeah, and congratulations on the book. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah. It's been fun to get it out after a couple of years working on it. Mm. Well, I want to start with uh, the subtitle of your book. Sometimes you start with the title, but I want to start with the subtitle because the subtitle is Love and Journalism in a Six-Foot World, which raises three things for me to focus on. Love, number one. Journalism, number two. And In a Six-Foot World, number three. So I want to work in reverse order just a second and uh, ask you this question. 
Have you always felt like you lived in a six-foot world? Yeah, I would say so. Um, Much more so when I was young, and you're at that really awkward age. But I don't think that if you're more tall than most people, than most women, you ever get to forget it because people ask you stupid questions. I mean, how tall are you? And I bet you were a good basketball player. Of course, I was miserable at basketball. And would you ask a person how much they weighed? You know, it's just rude. My, and it happens so much with strangers. So you, you're not allowed to forget you're tall. Hmm. Yeah, you talked about that in the book and about um... – the part about people asking whether you were a basketball player and you said that that was never your sport, never had any interest in that. And, uh, but yet they want to ask anyway, cause they make these assumptions. Uh, well, obviously if you're tall, you must be, you know, good at this or good at that. We're going to come back to that theme during the conversation here about the awkwardness of growing up tall, but on a, um, you, you chose love for the subtitle as well. Uh, love in a six foot world for your tagline. And I'm just wondering why are we talking about, you know, love life? Are we talking about love of self? Are we talking about a little bit of both? What are we talking about there? I think it's a little bit of both, but I feel like um, people think that if, if you're tall, you probably have less of a chance of getting married or having a steady boyfriend. And I was engaged once practically engaged another time and then met my ideal man who was two inches shorter. So I almost let him go because he was a little bit shorter. So I think that um, those three stories are particularly absorbing and I want to include them. That is the one that you almost let go. Is that your husband of today? It is. <laughs> so that so that, that t- two inches shorter has worked out uh, over the years for you? Uh, 44 years. Yeah. 44 years. That's great. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about because, you know, there's this thing in the South uh, that uh, we had to go through as boys and girls growing up uh, called cotillion. And you'd go to these little dances when you're in middle school and you know, I was a little shorter, and so you'd invariably get matched up with somebody where your head would come up to, you know, because the, the the girls might have grown faster than the boys, you know, and so it, it does have that, you know, awkward feel to it uh, for the young boy, but also I'm thinking from the perspective of the young girl, too, that um, you'd like to be able to press, uh, you know, adjust a little bit uh, to, to kind of come down to that height. Um and that was a difficult thing for you as a child, as as I read in the book. It was. Um, I think, you know, my life as a child until I was 11 or 12 was pretty ideal. And even though I knew I was a little bit taller, but then I just grew and grew. And by the time I was 14, you know, I had attained my full height of five feet, 11 and three fourths. And I said, all right, it was six feet, but I preferred five, 11 and three fourths. Well, you mentioned, uh, we were talking about this, you know, love 
life, love of self. You already mentioned love life. You found your husband. He was a couple inches shorter. You also must let him go because he was two inches shorter. Great decision not to do that. But uh, how about love of self? How long did it take you to uh, love the taller you? I think when I started succeeding in um, reporting, when I became a reporter and then when I became an investigative reporter, but I think it also helped for me to go away to college. You know, I went to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and there's so much to do there. And, you know, a lot of tall people, including women, that I think that you sort of cease to be so aware of it. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book about how when you went off to school, you were able to be around, of course, you had a larger population of students then, so the chances are that you might run into other women that were taller um, as well. And you said journalism, which is a third item on, on my uh, subtitle list here. You chose journalism in a six-foot world for your tagline. And I'm just wondering, because you talked about this in the book, if you could sh should share with our listeners, um, how did being six feet tall uh, maybe hurt you a little bit in that, but also help you as a journalist? Well, I think concurrent with being tall, I had to get over my shyness. You know, by the time I was a teenager, I was pretty shy. And I felt like both of those went hand in hand, being tall and being shy. And uh, I think you you learn very quickly. You cannot think about either of those things. You just have to do your job the best you can. And I think overall, it did help me. Uh, sometimes if I were around men that were you can say powerful. It. Go <laughs> <laughs> you can go, you're going to say it. Those obnoxious men who thought they knew everything, who uh, were being a bit misogynistic. Yeah, go ahead and say it. Then you were taller than they were, right? Right. And sometimes, you know, that was difficult, especially when I covered courts and there were a lot of lawyers there that were very tough to deal with anyway. And I don't think they liked the idea of dealing with a tall woman. But in a in another vein, I think it was um, very helpful to be tall because you know I looked up to I look I could look up to really tall people, and I could be at the level of a lot of men, especially, and it sort of gave me confidence. I think it gave me confidence and it helped that people would take me more seriously. I remember my first real reporting job away from home was in California. And I worked with a very short woman and we were friends and competitors. And she said, it was very tough being a short reporter because people didn't take her seriously. And with me, People did take me seriously, and they always thought I was older than I am. And that helped, too, because when I was a really young reporter, 
people tend to treat you like you're a novice all the time. And I don't think they treated me so much like a novice. So what you, what you were feeling is maybe a 12, 13, 14 year old girl, um, you sort of grew out of and it, it helped you in your professional career. Yes, definitely. Um, I think that I couldn't have chosen a better career for myself than journalism because it's a field that attracts, oddly enough, shy people and people that are pretty introverted, but they know that they have to put on this sort of mask, I would say. You know, they have to be extroverted. They have to ask a lot of strangers questions. They have to get very comfortable with that. And I think it leads to growth as a person and as a professional. Yeah, let me just let the listeners know that uh, when we're done here with this interview about your book, we're going to jump over to our Patreon page. And uh, listeners, you can join us there at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, all one word. We're going to be talking about investigative journalism for writers. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the investigative cases that uh, Nancy's uh, had and some of the tips she learned and maybe how that might even help writers of fiction. And so we'll do that. Uh, uh, and, and, but, but just to tease out a little bit that now, um, you really were involved in some interesting cases as an investigative journalist in Houston. You took on this group called the American Educational Complex. And, uh, and then there was a scandal in the private schools where you even got sued, which I'm sure endeared you to lawyers even more. <laughs> True, true. Yeah, of course, I was an investigative reporter there for five years, and I did, you know, a pretty large variety of stories. But I thought I picked those two because the American Educational Complex was really my most memorable case and went on for two years and presented some aspects of danger. Um, and the other case was the first and only time I've been sued. So I thought those were both pretty instructive, which is why I chose them. Yeah. And the American Educational Complex case was a pension fund scheme, as I understand. And the uh, the other case involving the private schools, you did get sued, but it had a happy ending. They dropped the case because... Uh, they didn't have a case to begin with. Uh, you had reported <laughs> accurately on what you had observed. But uh, uh, just briefly about that, uh, you know, you went from that to, and we'll talk about this in your writing life segment here in a little bit, but uh, when you were doing this investigative reporting work, you said there was a little bit of danger involved in that. Uh, I guess it, uh, it's six feet tall. It wasn't too easy to hide, right? I mean, you're <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the one thing they did was put out a sort of a wanted poster on me that um, mm. if people were to see me on campus, they were to report it immediately. And they had my picture on there. And mm. it really did look like one of those wanted posters from the FBI or something. About and, that. Um, and I was pretty sure I was followed. So... Wow. Yeah, it was kind of a scary time. 
Well, let's talk about A More Happy Time, which is the publication of this book. Uh, I'm looking at the book cover. Uh, our listeners can't see it, but they'll see it in the show notes if they go to charlotteridgepodcast.com. Uh, it's a very simple uh, but effective look, I believe. Uh, uh, the words tall appear on it, but then through the very center of the words, T-A-L-L, is a rose, a tall rose. Yeah, my publisher has this wonderful artist, illustrator that came up with that. He said he was really stumped at first, but he just happened to see the picture of the rose and knew that would be perfect for this cover. So what do you take away from that? Uh, I, I like the height of the rose in here because of the, you know, we're talking about uh, your height and, and being tall, but also you got the the sweet smell of a rose and the thorns of a rose. So you got uh, a little bit of both in terms of your history for being tall as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very symbolic. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's a good way to d- describe it, I think. Well, we do this on Charlotte's podcast where we have the authors read a little bit of the work. I'd love to have you read a section. We talked about you reading from the book, uh, chapter six, uh, the tallest girl at my high school. And, uh, I think it'll be pretty evident uh, without too much setup. Uh, So whenever you're ready, uh, we'd love to have you read a little section of that chapter. Okay. I studied the girl in the photograph of a high school pep rally. She's decent looking with medium length brown hair, a slender frame, and even features. She's wearing a pleated skirt and a pastel sweater. She's half a head taller or in some cases a head taller, than the other teenagers in the front row. Unlike them, she's not looking at the cheerleaders. Her expression is slightly bored, and she's gazing away, seemingly in her own world. I'm the girl in the photograph, which was posted on Facebook recently by someone in my high school alumni group. I don't remember the picture or the exact date, but the clothes and hairstyle indicate I was a sophomore. I thought of myself as a giant, towering over everyone in my high school, hovering somewhere along the edge of the popular kids, but too unattractive to fit in. The photograph, however, shows a person who's taller than her fellow students, but hardly freakish looking. This much seems evident. The girl's not paying attention to the cheerleaders, because she doesn't like the rah-rah atmosphere of the pep rally. And she likely isn't interested in football. In fact, she's not very interested in high school. I never had an eating disorder, but I'm reminded of deluded young women who stare into the mirror and see themselves as hopelessly overweight, though they're skinny as reeds. I couldn't see anything but ugliness in my tallness. Add that to my extreme shyness in my first two years of high school in 1962-64, eighth and ninth grades in their small town, were miserable. The forbidding high school building was a traditional two-story edifice perched on a hill at the entrance to the city. Its location indicated its importance to Radford. It was the only high school housing a small population of 600 students in five grades. 
Later, when I was safely ensconced in college, the high school would be mostly destroyed by fire. It was like burning the bridges of my past, which seemed appropriate. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> burn, burn down that past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably the only one that cheered. <laughs> <laughs> probably the only one that cheered. Um, so I, I want to talk to you about that reading just a second because um, as I'm sitting here listening to you read, you're looking back and, you know, you aren't quite as critical of what you see now, probably than as what you were thinking uh, in your head at the time. And so you've had time to reflect on this a little bit um, and you can look back and see that this tallness, which you felt was ugly at the time, do you now see it in a different light uh, with maturity? Definitely. I can look at pictures, um, well, like a couple of prom pictures. Uh, you know, I, I thought, oh, I'm so skinny and tall. And I look at them and I see a person who's fashionably slim, nicely dressed. Um, you know, there's really nothing particularly wrong with the, light, with the way I look. But then I just could not see anything that was redeeming. You said, in, uh, there's a quote in the book here. You said you've talked to many tall women who recall good times in the midpoint of their childhood. And they didn't worry about how they looked, how they dressed, or whether boys or the larger society approved of them. And I'm just wondering, Nancy, why do you think uh, it was different for you? Or why do you think it's different for some uh, young girls and not others. Uh, is it where they grow up? Is it uh, how many other, you know, tall people there are around them? What What do you think was going on in your life that made it uh, different for you than for some of these other women you've talked to? I think that, um, of course, being tall was a large part of it for me. And I didn't know very many tall women, so I'm not sure how it affected them. I do think that puberty is a terrible time for a girl. Well, I'm sure it's the same way for boys, but in a different way, because a girl becomes constrained by what society thinks she should do and how she should be feminine and not exercise much, not be a tomboy, dress nicely. And that has changed some over the years, but I still think that little girls just don't feel as free to be themselves as they hit puberty. Yeah, I think part of this could be, you know, the, the perfectionist society that we've developed uh, over time, uh, even more so now with social media and everything else, that you know, there's only one perfect look. And then if you're shorter than that or taller than that or larger than that or smaller than that people get insecurities and so forth so um i understand i understand the point where you're coming from but i want to ask you this question because you had one uh person who who uh provided a blurb here donald morrill who said a hearty salute to stancil for her frank narrative of walking tall in the world and the words frank narrative jumped out at me because that's what you were doing throughout this book. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, would your younger self think you were crazy for pointing out to the world how tall you are? 
Oh yeah, and and actually, I really had a lot of anxiety uh, writing mm -hmm. this book because, mm -hmm. you know, it's always been there in the background, and it's it it kind of gnaws at you a little bit, even as you get older, because. Like I said, people are always pointing it out to you. And I think, hmm, can I really do this? Should I really do this? How's it going to make me feel? How are people going to see it? But in the, in the end, I decided it was the perfect um, way to get into a memoir. I mean, I had a opening that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. So, so how did it make you feel ultimately, um, you know, as you, not, not just now, but as you were writing it, uh, was it difficult to put the words on the page? Has it been, uh, have you had a little bit of apprehension now that the book's out in the world? I've had apprehension and I still do a little bit, but on the whole, I found it to be very freeing, you know, it's, it's exercised some demons, um, and people have been very supportive and kind about it. They say they, I know friends have told me, I've written two novels before this about an investigative reporter. And they said, well, we liked your novels, but we like this a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and is that because you think uh, you're, you're, you're being open on the page about uh, about uh, the experiences that you had uh, being a tall person? I think it is. I think it's that. I think it's um, the way I chose to write it. They're short chapters. They're truthful. They're honest. Um, I hope they're enticing. But it's a book that's easy to read, I think, and you don't have to labor it, labor over it too much to get the points. Yeah, and you cover a wide range too um, in, in your book. You, you, you and, and you learned some things as well as I was reading it. Like you told this terrible story about uh, women who were encouraged to shrink themselves, even surgically, or with hormones. Uh, I mean, that just is a ghastly thought to to think about. And you and you also talked about uh, the awkwardness of your teenage years, but then growing up and, and moving out and having to date a little bit of humor there and a little bit of struggle there, you know, with your situation there. So the honesty, I think, does make a difference uh, when you're writing a memoir. But then you threw in the uh, interesting uh, investigative journalism parts of it. Um, what, what are you most... Uh, what are you most proud of about uh, this book having finally gotten it into the world? I know you've written the two books, The Mysteries, which came right after your career in investigative journalism, but they're different, as you said. What are you proud of about this book? I think I'm proud that it's honest and candid, um, that I was able to kind of see see it till the end. Uh, obviously, I chose what to write, but I didn't um, shy away from things that were painful. I think that um, it's about as candid as I could have made it. What was the most painful 
part of uh, growing up five feet and three quarters inches if we're going to stay below six feet. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, you know, being ignored, either being teased or being ignored or both. You know, I was teased during uh, the times I was 12, 13, 14. Um, but then in high, you get in high school and people don't tease you, but they don't ask you out on dates. They kind of um, just, you're not there. I mean, people look through you, I think. Isn't that hard? I mean, that's kind of an odd thing to think about you're six feet tall but you're invisible true true and i think it's like any person that is different you know the different people in high school are just hard to accept i mean whether you're overweight or even had it's funny i i even had people tell me very odd things that they suffered in high school and one woman said oh it was my neck I had a really long neck and I was always teased about it and I thought that never would have occurred to me that you'd be teased because you had a long neck um, yeah kids can be mer merciless in middle school and high school sometimes and it's uh it's terrible, but uh, just a couple of writing life questions here uh, before we finish up. Uh, you went, uh, talked about your career in investigative journalism. You end up, ended up coming to Charlotte. You worked for The Observer for years and uh, had some award-winning pieces. Uh, but then you wrote The uh, Mysteries, and now you've written the memoir. And um, just a little bit about the writing process. Moving from investigative journalism to mystery to memoir, what did you have to unteach yourself to accomplish those tasks? <laughs> Well, a lot. <laughs> I think um, what helped me a lot, we moved to London for three years. And I had a lot of social activities with other women. But I was kind of bored. I mean, if you're used to working and then all of a sudden, you know, you're on this endless vacation, after a while it begins to pall. So I said, if I'm ever going to write this novel, I need to do it now. And um, I kind of wandered through a lot of thickets of writing that kind of went in circles and went somewhere ungovernable. And I got a writing coach, uh, an Englishman who actually lived in Minneapolis, which is odd, but he had seen people through this writing their first novel before. So once I did that, all it took was having one to say, someone to Skype with and to say, you know, this really is not working. Um, why don't you go back and try something else? Or, I mean, probably not even that diplomatically. Um. <laughs> well, if you've got, if you got an editor, you don't want it to be too diplomatic if you want it to be better. Right. So it sounds like uh, the thing you learned was that uh, 
one of the things you learn probably is to to take your skill set, but understand that, you know, when you're writing a different type of work, you know, there's some things to learn. We're always in a learning, you know, experience. And, uh, but you also probably brought to that project some uh, skill sets uh, as an investigative journalist that helped you, which we're going to talk about in just a moment on Patreon. But before we go there, uh, just sort of a, a final question. And uh, uh, I ask this of writers sometimes. Now, I know that writing was, you know, part of your career and you got paid for it. But apart from the paid part of writing, what is it about writing that appeals to you, Nancy? Or put another way, why do you write? And let's start from the time you left <laughs> journalism until now, because you're not getting paid for it like you were before. Right. I think I write to have written. You know, the process of writing is very hard and painful, as you yourself know. Um, while you're doing it, if you can get into it, you really get in the zone, as they say, and you can forget about everything, time, um, other duties. But I think it's hard to get there. And sometimes it feels so onerous that you have to wait till you're done and look at it and say, you know, that's not bad. I mean, that's, that's a good point. I, and you also have to know when to get up and stretch because your back can get uh, kind of stiff if you just sit there and zone out for about for too long. I, I, uh, I've got a novel coming out. I hope this fall, if, 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 if I can stick to it. And I got a first draft done, but it took basically sitting in the chair quite a bit in January to get, uh, you know, an additional 60,000 words on top of what I'd written before. And it just takes that kind of commitment, right, to sit in the chair and make yourself do it. Um, but don't forget to get up and stretch, right? Absolutely. And drink lots of water. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, well, Nancy, it's been great. I, I you know, I enjoyed reading your book. Uh, I, I love the book cover. Um, it's a Thank you. It's a great, great story here of, you know, perseverance uh, through these awkward years. And then finding, I think, in the end, um, that maybe it wasn't as bad as you thought it was. Right. I think I'm uh, very grateful that I had these experiences in life because I think a little adversity prepares you for life out in the world. You know, there's so many challenges we face that when you look at that one, you know, it's not so bad. Yeah, it could be worse. <laughs> if we could only tell ourselves that about everything we do, right? <laughs> Life yes. would, would, be, would be great. Well, um, all right, listeners, we're going to jump over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. Uh, Nancy, I want to thank you for being on Charlotte Readers Podcast. Thank you. It's It's just a pleasure. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. 
And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.